Hello and welcome to the Trips and Global on Wheels podcast hour. I'm your host, Ming Canaday. Trips and Global on Wheels is focused on sharing resources and insights into disability advocacy, fitness and health, and accessible travel. Our mission is to build a community of healthy, worldly, and informed advocates. Each week on our podcast, we interview someone with a disability or someone whose work advances the disability rights movement, both locally and internationally. Catalina Devandes is a lawyer from Costa Rica. She took office as the first special rapporteur on the rights of persons with disabilities on December 1st, 2014. She has worked extensively on disability rights and inclusive development for the past 20 years, including with the World Bank, the United Nations, Department for Economic and Social Affairs, and International Donors Organization. Catalina was previously part of the disability rights movement at national, regional, and international level. So Catalina, to kick off, can you tell us what your disability is? I know it's been a bit of that, but everybody experiences it differently. Yeah, just share with us your personal experience and how that has impacted your life. Well, yes, I was I was born with spina bifida, and that, as you know, is a congenital condition, and it, it varies a lot depending on what is the level of the spina bifida, and my case is low, so that means that I can walk, although I use a wheelchair for long distances. My life experience having a spina bifida, I believe, has enriched me so much, and it has brought me a lot of important experiences and learnings. I've never considered myself to be missing something. I just understood that there was a need to adapt because unfortunately, uh, of course, our environments and particularly growing up in Costa Rica uh, were not prepared for persons with disabilities. But I think that that's part of of a learning process. And now that I look back at it, of course, it has strengthened me and it has also helped me to realize many of the ways in which persons with disabilities are oppressed by society. I know you're a mom, you have three daughters. What are some of the challenges of being a mom with a physical disability? You don't just have one child, you have three girls. And do you feel like it's the same as being an able-bodied mom? If not, what are some of the particular things you have to go through and adapt? Well, yes, <laughs> I think it, for, for uh, every mom is, is challenging and difficult to go motherhood. Uh, I have three girls, as you said, and, and two of them are twins. So it was, it was a little bit challenging and they have very little difference between them. So it was a lot of work uh, as it would have been for anyone. It is true that without a support network, it, it becomes more difficult for mothers with disabilities, right? When you think about how the system of maternity leave has been designed and the measures that are there, they don't have a disability lens, right? So you have permit or leave for nursing. It really doesn't work for some people with disabilities and that's not a guarantee. And, and especially, you know, a lot of the measures are just in place 
for mothers that are in the formal workforce, for instance. But many of women with disabilities are not in the formal workforce and those are not protected in any way. That means that there is no network of official or, or formal support for them from the government. And I don't know if you have the right to a subsidy to, for instance, hire someone to help you at home. One of my frustrations was that whether kindergartens or other facilities for children, parks where you can take your children to play, were not accessible for me, <laughs> you know? So I could not leave my three, four-year-old and two-years-old play alone if I couldn't access a playground or if I couldn't access a kindergarten where I had to go and drop them and pick them up. And so it was a difficult time after the twins were a year and a half for me. I, I, I think I was exhausted and I, I had to deal with a lot of difficulties even impacting in my mental health. And I think it's part of, of this compound uh, things. Sounds like you've managed well. You know, as you know, we are not a signatory to the UNCRPD. So what are the negative consequences of the U.S. not ratifying the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities? Well, many. <laughs> many both, I, I believe, for the U.S. people and for people abroad because of the implications on international cooperation. But also for the U.S. citizens, I believe that it's a, it's a great uh, missed opportunity. In the U.S., with the Americans with Disabilities Act, there was a big progress and perhaps the first international civil rights legislation that was passed and, and that modeled uh, many of the responses on the rights of persons with disabilities decades after their adoption uh, or the adoption of the ADA. But it is true that the ADA is, is basically a non-discrimination legislation. And what the convention does is that it moves us to another level in which we are not longer only referring to non-discrimination, but we're talking about substantive equality. So it's not only to get you to the door, to get you to, you know, an equal basis with others to exercise rights. But it is also to understand that to open the door for you also means to provide you with certain degrees of support and opportunities to allow you to enjoy those rights on an equal basis with others. And the full recognition of legal capacity, for instance, the supported decision making, some of the notions that the convention has on uh, independent living, uh, I think that will be immensely benefit of benefit for everybody. Also because it will give the disability community in the U.S. the opportunity to use other advocacy tools to defend their rights, right? And to be able to claim and report progress as well, right? I think that there might be and there are fantastic examples in which uh, the United States can show their le its leadership in many areas. But also, I think that there are areas in which each country is promoting approaches that will be beneficial for everybody. Well, perhaps we will revisit that in oh. Congress in the U.S. and get that ratified when this pandemic is over. Yeah, like you said, I, I hope with movies, documentaries about the disability rights movement, and as people learn more 
about disability issues and become more aware of it, Congress political leaders will be more receptive to signing on to things like the UNCRPD. So our last few questions, they are overarching questions about disability. So the first one is about your role. So what are your proudest achievements for people with disabilities so far? As a special rapporteur, I know you're the first one. So what are some things you have been particularly proud of so far in the last six years or so? So I think that the, the mandate itself, it's an achievement and that has nothing to do with me. Just the fact that the, before there wasn't any special rapporteur because special rapporteurs are independent experts that monitor human rights around the world. And for many years they have existed in the UN system and there wasn't one on persons with disabilities. So just the fact that there is one that it's able to go and visit countries and make assessments of what is the situation of persons with disabilities and then report back to the international community, it's important. The fact that, that there are discussions in the main machinery of human rights at international level on the rights of persons with disabilities, so in the Human Rights Council in Geneva, there is now every year a dialogue with the mandate holder, with the special rapporteur, discussing challenges uh, on the implementation of persons with disabilities in, the, in, the, in different areas. And of course, the fact that the rest of the special rapporteurs are now more aware of the rights of persons with disabilities because they have a colleague that is constantly reminding them that there are opportunities for internally displaced people, for minority people, for women, for sexual orientation and gender diversity to include, and just to mention some, you know, you can talk about water and sanitation, you can talk about poverty, any of the other mandates there will be implications for persons with disabilities and this mainstreaming is also, I think, important. But that's part of a natural process of having a mandate and I think I've been able to use that very well. But perhaps what I'm very proud of uh, as an achievement is that I pushed since the beginning of my mandate for responses of the UN system that were inclusive of persons with disabilities because we have the convention, the convention is pushing states, governments to be more inclusive and to respect the rights of persons with disabilities. But then internally, when I enter in the UN bureaucracy, of course, you discover all the challenges and all the shortcomings of, on, of the UN response, right? And the problem is not only that the UN is not hiring persons with disabilities or that their premises are not accessible or that the persons with disabilities cannot participate fully in their conferences and events because the events are not accessible, it's not sign language anywhere, et cetera, et cetera. It's not only that, which is quite important, but it's also that the UN has a fundamental role in supporting states in changing the way in which they address the needs of persons with disabilities. So I was going to countries and understanding that the UN system was not engaging with organizations of persons with disabilities. They didn't even had a list of organization of persons with disabilities. They didn't have information on how to hire a sign language interpreter. So they were not accompanying the governments in, for instance, implementing the sustainable development goals or any other policy being inclusive of persons with disabilities and their rights. So one of my big efforts was to say, we need to have a plan and accountability strategy to make sure that the internal UN systems are inclusive and accessible of persons with disabilities. And so last year, after a lot of work, there was um, the UN adopted what is called the UN Disability Inclusion Strategy, which is basically 
a roadmap or of how do the UN needs to work towards being more inclusive. And also it has an accountability framework, which means that they have to report, they have some indicators and they can measure how they're moving uh, in the direction. And that I believe is a, is a fundamental achievement of, it's one of the, of the, of the greatest achievements uh, and I feel very proud of it, yeah. Sounds like you've been doing some amazing work. So before we move on to our last question, I wanna follow up with something we touched on earlier during our interview. When should people with disabilities feel like they have to overcome their disabilities and when should they embrace their disability? Where is that balance? We cannot deny it, and this is part of what the, the CRIP movement is claiming. Uh, even if you transform all the systems and reduce all the barriers and make the world inclusive, that there is always a degree uh, of uh, a personal experience that you cannot deny, it, right? And that could be limited because, because of pain, because of your own functionality and that you cannot deny that. And I, I agree with that. I mean, you cannot deny that there might be moments in which you will have pain, frustration, in which it will be difficult to say, I am so proud and so happy and I embrace all this, because in some cases you can feel it like a misery. If you have lots of challenges, despite of having the support that you need, etc., it's it's complicated to say I'm really proud and happy, etc. And we have also to be able to accompany that and to understand that, while understanding that the situation might be difficult and and that is undeniable. I think that we have to make sure that those challenges are not maximized by the lack of support and accessibility, right? Things might be extremely easier if there were no barriers. We need to think on how to address the needs of those that are going through the more difficult situations and also how to make their processes easier. But it is true that in many cases, we will also have to support people to fight against the internalized oppression. So we, we also need to dismantle this, the, the oppression that comes with ableism. So at the end of the day, it's an individual experience. And two people in the same situation might have completely different reactions to the same situation. It's an individualistic experience and you have to take a case-by-case uh, case basis. So thank you for that thoughtful answer. So our last question is, in no other minority group, this is my personal opinion, do you see such huge diversity within one minority group, right? Different race, different gender, sexual orientation. So such diversity between people in a single group. So some people, as we were saying, alluding to earlier, need more help in carrying out day-to-day -day activities. Others need more assistance when it comes to mental and psychosocial. So in your opinion, how does the multitude and variation of disabilities out there influence the trajectory of the disability rights movement? I mean, first of all, I think that one of the challenges, this is a, a virtue and a challenge of the disability movement, right? We're very diverse. And my concern about that is that although we need to be inclusive and recognize the specific needs of different sectors of groups. It will also be difficult to go and focus on an identity per se, right? I think that identity politics 
we need to be careful about that within the disability community and outside the disability community because you all of us we have multiple identities and and one of the things that has been i believe difficult to handle is this politics of the separation right because that has an impact on how we can work together and advocate together for a cause and that is within the as i said within the disability community and outside the disability community this is not a marathon to see who's more successful if it's you know fighting for women's rights or fighting for lgtbi or fighting for indigenous rights or you know and, and persons with disabilities are in all of those and in those communities there is also a lot of diversity right there's not such a thing as a homogeneous group of lgtbiq or etc right it's only by having a joint effort, supporting all of us together, that we are going to succeed. And so for me, it is important to be extremely careful not to overlook the different challenges, but on the contrary, to be very sensitive to the most difficult situations that different groups face and make them part of the joint advocacy call right only in that way we're going to be able to advance and that means and this is important for the disability movement worldwide it means that we need to work together with other human rights groups we also have to understand that it's not only including the needs and the challenges of different groups of persons with disabilities but also understanding their multiple identities and understanding that we are on this together if we are talking about human rights, we should do it with everybody. That's a great way to wrap up the interview because I think what you're saying is progress in any group is progress also for the disability rights movement. And another thing that you point out, which is correct, is other groups such as the women's rights movement or the Black Lives Matter movement, they're also very diverse in a lot of areas as well and not homogenous. And so thank you for pointing that out. Thank you also for participating and being so generous with your time. You've done some really great work since I first met you in 2014, 2015 at the UN in New York City. I don't know if you remember, we met briefly. It's, it's great to see you grow and see the progress that you've made over the, the last few years. Yeah, good luck and stay safe in Geneva. Thank you very much uh, for the opportunity and, uh, and good luck with your work as well. It's always important to keep doing uh, the work at local level and, and to try to move the agenda forward there. So thank you very much for your work. Yes, of course. Have a good day. Bye, Catalina. I only know what it's like in America shutting doors I don't think that's right Thanks for listening to another Trips and Global on Wheels podcast hour Look for us on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter and Facebook where I post pictures of my travels, share videos of my fitness journey and keep you updated on the latest wheelchair accessory must-haves Tell others about our program. The more we can raise awareness about these issues, the stronger we can get as a community. At Trips and Global on Wheels, we aim to build a community of healthy, worldly, and informed individuals with disabilities and disability advocates. That means we want to hear from you. 
our listeners. Send us an email at tgowpodcast at gmail dot com. Let us know about your favorite destinations for accessible travel. How do you stay fit to avoid chronic injuries? What language do you prefer to describe your identity as someone with a disability? We want to provide a platform for people to share and learn from each other. So send us your stories. If you have suggestions for future guests that you would like to hear on our podcast series, please leave them in the contact us section of our website. Or post them on our Facebook page. Thanks again for listening. Bye bye. And this is